listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 71. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me, the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. More than anything, this show is home to honest conversations between real people. We're not trying to sell you anything. I promise we're not trying to get you to fix yourself, or we're not trying to make you stressed out over stupid life hacks or anything like that. Instead, it's a space to just be real, to take a deep breath and talk about all the behind the scenes stuff that I think isn't talked about enough, like our fears, challenges, and insecurities, our secret dreams, our real day-to-day life, how it actually feels to try and make changes, what happens when you don't accomplish a goal, and just other truths of being human in a crazy world. As your host, it's so much fun for me to sit down with everyone from athletes, writers, and entrepreneurs to parents, coaches of all kinds. I talk to world travelers, adventurers, artists, activists, the list goes on and on, and then to bring those conversations to you. And fair warning real quick that this is an adult podcast, which means that we often cover adult topics and use adult language. My hope for you as a listener of this show is that it makes you laugh, think, and just feel less alone. Because honestly, that's all that I ever want, to know that I'm not alone. Something else that's unique about the show is that it's 100% community supported, which means no ads, no sponsors, and no outside influence. Just us here together sharing stories. The show is made possible by listeners like you, awesomely generous people who have pledged $8 or more per eight-episode season. To do this, we use a platform called Patreon, and not only does your support keep the show going, but it also earns you access to over 30 hours of exclusive bonus content, with new stuff added every single month. You'll get special bonus episodes with former guests, you'll get my personal end-of-month goal reflections, you'll get access to our brand new book club, you'll have the opportunity to be featured on an upcoming outro, you'll be able to help shape the future of the show, you'll be able to chat with me and other like-minded people on the community's private feed page, and you'll even be able to access my popular weekly email series, Notes of Grit and Grace, which is only available to Patreon supporters. So for all of that and more, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. That's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. And at the end of this episode, you'll actually get to meet one of our community members who joins me for a quick and hilarious game of Would You Rather and shares what it's like behind the scenes in our Patreon community. So if you believe in this real talk revolution, like I do, and if you're in the position to be able to support the show, I can't tell you how much that would mean to me. So thanks so much for your support. And now let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Laura Sims. Laura is a career coach and an expert on meaningful work who challenges conventional wisdom by asking people to ditch their passions and start with purpose. After struggling through her own career transition, she developed Your Career Homecoming, her signature career change process, to help people find careers that feel like home. This unorthodox curriculum sidesteps the familiar refrains to either follow your passion or be practical by emphasizing service, legacy, and each individual's personal relationship to purpose. In this episode, Lara tells the story of her own career transition from being an actor to becoming a career coach, and she shares tons of practical tips for anyone else who's looking to make a change in their own career. We talk about rejection, about grieving the end of a career that you thought you really wanted, and about why she doesn't think that follow your passion is good career advice. We dig into the difference between passion and purpose and how to sit down and actually begin to figure out what you might want to do next with your work. This conversation was such a lovely mix of personal stories and actionable steps, and I hope you get as much out of it as I did. All right, let's do this. Laura, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning. 
Um, what's your middle name? That would be your first question. Of course, right? <laughs> Might as well just go with something totally random. <laughs> no, it's good. My name, my middle name is Anne. That why is that such a common middle name? I don't know. I don't like my middle name. Uh, and my mom has the same middle name. And one day I was growling. I was like, why did you give me this middle name? She said, well, I don't know. I don't like it either. <laughs> this makes no sense. That's so funny. She's like, I don't like it. So I don't want to be the only one that has to deal with it. That is really funny. I So most people think that Antoinette is my last name, but it's actually my middle name. It was my grandmother's name. And my parents wanted that to be my first name. But then my mom started being fearful that people would call me Tony, which she hated. So they decided not to do that. I don't know. I think the middle naming tradition is really funny, right? Like we just, people just have these other names that I don't know, people don't know about. I don't know. I decided, um, we decided to name, uh, to give my son my last name as his middle name. Um, because I've kept my maiden name. So that feels like, okay, that means something and that, you know, like has a connection. And But I, I don't, Anne is just kind of a bleh. <laughs> it just doesn't really, it's a placeholder. <laughs> so I am don't have kids and I'm not planning on having kids, but I imagine that it would be, I don't know if stressful is the right word, but to like name a person, like you've created this person <laughs> and you have to come up with a name that's going to be their name forever. What was that process like for you guys? Yeah, well, we we came up with, um, before we knew if it was going to be a boy or a girl, we kind of came up with some um, male and female, you know, options that we liked. Um, and we mostly just had like a bunch of names we didn't like. We're like, well, not this, not this, not this, not this. Um, you know, and we, we tried to think of something because we knew he was going to have my last name as his middle name. And obviously he was going to have his dad's last name as his last name. We thought that's enough, like, that's enough family names. You sure, know, we yeah. don't need to give you like your grandfather's name or something because that's enough. So we, we really wanted to find a name that was going to be um, just his and that wasn't really going to have any ties to um, like some other legacy or something he was supposed to live up to. Um, so we ended up picking up a name that like, I don't know anyone else named Wyatt. Um, and I don't think my husband does either and there's no family, you know, connection. So, um, that's kind of, that was, that was our approach. Um, and you know, just a name that you're going to be willing to say a million times. (laughs) That's so funny. I remember when I was in college, I, um, was a creative writing minor and, um, one of the fiction classes that I took, uh, we wound up being given the recommendation to buy like a baby name book, especially the ones that had meanings in them in order to help like name characters or like get out of like the box of just like the couple of names that you always think of. And I remember thinking it was so silly, but then having so much fun reading through like, oh my God, look at all these names. And that's when I started thinking, wow, if I ever did have kids, like (laughs) it's too many names. What do I do? (laughs) You just have to keep having kids or have cats. Yeah. Well, I mean, that is my strategy. So <laughs> no, I'm not allowed to get any more cats. My husband says we can't have more cats than people in the house. So that's I'm stuck with again. two cats, no more cats. <laughs> oh my God. That's so funny. So tell me something that you are totally obsessed with right now. Um, home goods. <laughs> what do you mean home goods? Do you know the store home goods? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we just moved into a new house and, um, it's, I don't know if you can hear the room echo in here, but there's nothing on the walls. Um, you know, I love um, I love buying stuff from actual artists. My mom is an artist. My grandmother is an artist. So, like, I really value handmade stuff. But sometimes, like, you just need 
like a blanket or you just need a pillow. So I have been burning up the road from here to Home Goods for the last three weeks, um, just trying to fill in little nooks and crannies and buy the drawer liners and, you know, all that stuff. And it's been nice to do that in one place. Yeah, that was us at Cost Plus World Market when we first moved here. Yes. I was like, well, I really like yeah. all this stuff. So um, why'd you move? Oh, there's a can of worms, sort of. Um, <laughs> so uh, my husband was a, a tenure track professor at this small, in the small little town in Texas. Um, and in July, he resigned. Um, he had been there for four years. And after about the first year, we started feeling like, mm, wow, even though you're tenure track, I don't think this is going to be our forever home um, in terms of the town we were living in, but also just the department he was working in and, and the school. There was just a lot of, I, I would say the values of the department and the school were not aligned with our personal and professional values. Sure. Um, so we knew we wanted to make a change, but it just was like, when is the right time? And like, do we, does he really just quit this job that we had moved from Los Angeles to this little town in Texas? And, you know, we were just trying to work out the timing and, and what felt right. Um, so I guess it was last April, we were getting ready for work in the morning. Um, and just kind of out of the blue, we hadn't been talking about this, but I said, you know, what one of my biggest life regrets so far is. He was like, oh, do I want to hear this? Right, right that's the time? start of a serious conversation. Uh -huh, right. um, he was like, does this have anything to do with me? Um, and I said, my biggest regret so far is that I don't get to spend more time with my sister. Um, my sister is nine years younger than I am. We haven't lived in the same place since she was nine years old and I went off to college. Um, she is probably one of my, you know, one of my best friends, one of my favorite humans in the world. And, you know, I got to see her like twice a year for years and years and years. Um, and just being far away from her and my parents and my husband's family too, especially once we had a kid, it just, that was something that was constantly just kind of in my mind. Um, and something that we talked about a lot, like, wouldn't it be great if we could move closer to our family? So even if we're not in the same town, like, it's easy to go spend a long weekend with them or we could do Thanksgiving with them or just have them be more involved in Wyatt's life and just really feel like more of a family. Um, so, so that comment that I made <laughs> kind of sparked a conversation about like, well, why don't we just move there? You know, what are we waiting for? Um, my business is portable. I can go anywhere. Um, my husband used to be a freelancer. If he wanted to go back to that, he could move anywhere. So that's what we decided to do. Um, and uh, almost exactly a month ago, we left Texas and moved to Atlanta. And here we are. I'm always so interested in hearing kind of why people choose where they live, right? Like, especially now as the tendency is that people don't always necessarily live super close to their families or, I mean, I know that's, that's not the case for us, but not that there's a right or wrong way to make decisions, but I don't know. I'm really glad that you shared that story because I think it is like, I don't know, our priorities change over time, right? You think it's going to be the move that you want for a job or, you know, whatever. And then, oh, actually, I do want to be closer to my family or, oh, this thing is important that like as it changes, kind of having the flexibility and the grace to say, you know what, maybe it's time to, you know, to try something different. It doesn't mean that the first decision that you made was wrong, right? It's just right. being able to, to make that change. 
And that's a conversation we had a lot. You know, was it a mistake going to Texas? Was it a mistake him taking that job? And, you know, I don't think it was. That was our, we were really ready to leave Los Angeles. That was our ticket out. You know, that kind of helped us do the next leg. It, um, you know, it put us in a much more stable position than we had been in Los Angeles. We had health insurance and, you know, my husband had a salary and it just made financing things and doing financial planning a lot easier. It made it easier to have a kid. Um, like all of those things kind of came together for us while we were in Texas. Um, and, you know, once we felt like we had gotten what we needed, um, we were really ready to go on to, you know, pursue the next thing, which is being able to be close to our family. Um, and in the last month, like I've seen my mom three times. I've seen my sister almost every weekend. We just had dinner. Um, his mom just, my dad's, I mean, my husband's mom just cooked us this amazing dinner last Sunday night and we all got to eat as a family. So that, like, I feel like our quality of life in terms of just those relationships has shot through the roof. Um, and it like, it's, it's just been a really good move and really worth it. Something that I have struggled with that I know I'm not alone because I feel like this comes up in conversation all the time um, is the idea of, this sounds so silly, but how to make friends as an adult, especially in a new place. <laughs> like, do you have any, like, so you're in this new place, obviously, yes, you're not, I mean, you have your immediate family, you know, you have people around you, but do you have kind of a game plan of, okay, well, I hear, I'm here now. How do I make friends? <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I have zero friends right now that live here um, besides my sister and my family. Um, we've been here for almost a month. Um, my kid has just started preschool, so that means I can really focus on like having a work day again. Um, and I think as more things slide into place, I do have a little bit of a game plan. Um, I definitely want to try to connect with the entrepreneur and creative community in Atlanta. Um, I just like, I know those are going to be my people and it's going to be like an easy way to find connection and common ground. And there's already like meetup groups and co-working spaces. So people are already gathering somewhere, right? Like I don't have to hand pick, like try to find 20 people I want to talk to. I just need to go to where they are. Um, and I used to be an actor, uh, in a past career. Um, and I've just always loved artists and actors in that community. So I'd like to try to tap into that. If that means taking an acting class or just, um, you know, hooking up with, with some actors and like trying to meet their people. Um, that's, those are my, my two main plans right now. No, I mean, that sounds awesome. That when, when we moved, we are in Bend, Oregon, and I've been here for a couple of years now, but it was really hard. I mean, we didn't have any family or anything here and like pretty much didn't know anyone, right? And as you know, when you work for yourself, when you work from home, like that's an added hurdle of, it's not like you're meeting people through work or through this other right. thing that you have in common, right? So yeah, going to meetups or co-working spaces or just, I mean, I've even, <laughs> the thing that changed for me was like giving myself permission to just like actually kind of be like a third grader about it, like ask, like, do you want to be my friend? Like if you like hit it off with someone somewhere, I'd be like, let's be friends. Like let's, it's like, always sounds really funny, but I don't know. It's, it's actually worked. Like let's I, do this thing. Let's have like a grown up play date. I don't know. I've seriously considered going to the local coffee shop and putting like a little tent table up that says new in town, be my friend. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. First of all, listen, please do that. And then you have to come back on and tell us about it because that's the best idea I've ever heard. Oh my God. Uh, like speed dating, but for friendships. Yes, yes. That's hilarious. That's so funny. Um, so you mentioned being an actor in your past career, past life. Right now, when someone, if you do meet someone at your tent table speed dating friend <laughs> thing, if someone were to ask you, oh, so what do you do? What's your response? How do you describe what you do currently? 
Uh, short answer, I'm a career coach. You know, I do I do coaching and consulting to help people either find the meaningful work that they want to do or do the work they're already doing better. Um, so it took me, so I've been in my business now for six years. Actually, my business anniversary was yesterday. Oh, happy um, anniversary. That's exciting. Thank you. Um, and like, I'm really comfortable saying that and owning that and, and identifying around that now. Um but I remember when I was making that career transition from actor into doing coaching and career work, I like I just didn't know what to say. I felt like a fraud either way, you know. Like I'm a I'm an actor. I mean, I was still auditioning. I still had an agent and everything, but I just my heart wasn't in it. So, and also everyone I knew in Los Angeles, pretty much I knew through acting. So it felt really weird to be like I'm an actor, but I'm starting this business, or I have this business, but I'm you'll also see me on you know, criminal minds tonight. And it just, it just felt like a weird, you know, like to have one foot in each world was strange and uncomfortable. Um, so that took me a little while to be able to just state what I do. <laughs> and, I mean, transitions are hard, right? I feel like that's true with yeah. anything. Like you go yeah. through that. It's so, I always think it's so sweet and, and cute how we think that we're really unique when we're feeling that kind of imposter syndrome or like a fraud, <clears throat> excuse me, like you said, that, oh my God, like I'm the only one. No, everyone feels that way during every like time of transition in their life forever, right? <laughs> yeah. Or that you have to be or do just one thing, you know, and that you're like, you're a phony. If, I know that's something that my clients now struggle with. They're like, how do I tell people when they ask me what I do? I'm like, well, why don't you just tell them the truth? And they're like, oh, like, why don't you just say, you know, I'm an administrative assistant at this university and I'm also, you know, starting my holistic health practice. And they're like, oh, I guess I could just do that. <laughs> Um, moment of silence for how amazing that advice is, right? Just why don't you just tell them the truth? Is honestly, I feel like, <laughs> and we're gonna I mean we're gonna talk a lot about career stuff, of course, but that is we make things so complicated, right? Or like we spin ourselves into this web of anxiety over like, well, no, why don't you just answer the question? Just like tell the truth. It's like such a simple answer. It doesn't always mean that it's easy, but I don't know. We want things. We want to make things so much more complicated than they need to be. Well, and I think a lot of that comes from like, we're not comfortable with the answer ourselves. We want it to be this, or we want it to be that, or we have this weird feeling around it. So we're like, we're trying to guess the answer the other person wants, or we're trying to imagine how it sounds coming from our mouth through another set of ears. And like, that's a lot of work, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think too, we, most of us, at least some part of us, we want to impress. And so like, if we're communicating to impress, instead of just communicating to connect, like you just have to do all this weird mental gymnastics that's like exhausting and ineffective anyway. Um, so if you can cut to the truth, that's usually easier for everybody. So when you think back on your years spent working as an actor, what are you most proud of? Oh, I... Just that, just that I did it, just that I pursued it, and I really went after it. Um, you know, I grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee. I didn't know any actors. I didn't think it was a career that, like, real people had. Um, I didn't know anybody. I didn't, like, start taking acting classes when I was in seven, and at eight, I starred in Annie off-Broadway. Like, I didn't do that stuff, you know. I did theater in my, you know, in my school um, I was a history major in undergrad and, um, 
And when it got close to graduation time and I knew I didn't want to use my history degree, sorry, mom and dad, um, like I really, I went for it and I auditioned and I didn't know what I was doing, um, but I got enough work to get started and I just kept going and kept going um, all the way through grad school and to being able to do some really cool work in Los Angeles. So, um, you know, I didn't make it by like Hollywood standards. I was not, you know, a series regular and I didn't have these big movie credits and I was not on red carpets, but, um, but I had a career and I worked and I did some cool stuff and I worked with cool people. Um, and I just think, you know, if I look back, like I don't have any regrets about that. It feels good to have not just checked off that box, but like had the experiences and had to grow into the kind of person it took to pursue work in a, in a field that's that demanding. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I feel like, I guess this could be true for lots of fields, but what you said really rings true about, you know, you're a child and you don't think that being an actor is something that real people do, right? Like, I think that that's a really common assumption. So being able to then actually, as a real person, right, like to decide to not <laughs> hang on to that story, I think it would have been really easy to just tell yourself that and never go for it. Yeah. And what a big turning point for me was in college, I did a study abroad program where we went to England and Ireland and Scotland. Um, and we spent two weeks um in Stratford. And we got to see plays that the Shakespeare company was doing. And we got to go to workshops that the actors were teaching. And I remember we were at like a talk back with actors after the show where you get to ask them about their character and about their careers and everything. And I remember somebody asking like, what is it, you know, what is it really like to be an actor? Um, and the guy who played bottom in Midsummer answered and he said, you know, I, um, I'm a new dad. And I haven't seen my baby for eight weeks and I miss my wife and I'm away from home and I love this. <laughs> Despite all that, I love what I do. I love my job. I love the people I work with. I love talking to students and audiences like you and I just wouldn't want to be doing anything else, you know, and basically he told us it's hard and you can do it. There will be sacrifices and for some of you, it'll be worth it. Mm. And that's when I was like, oh, oh, here's a real person. <laughs> here's a real person, not just telling me that I can do it, but showing me like he's doing it. He's a living example of what it could look like. And I, that just like blew the doors off for me um, and really changed, you know, like, taking fewer history classes and spending more time in the theater department and, um, you know, really changed like the future of my career. Yeah. That, that idea of it's hard, there are sacrifices and also you can do it right. That. And I feel like is so powerful. It's, <clears throat> it comes up for me. Um, whenever I talk to particularly new runners, like people, I'm a runner, so, you know, people who want to get into that or just like building any kind of a regular running or, you know, exercise habit, or I don't know, like, I think we operate under this false belief that at some point it's easy, or if it feels this hard, I must be doing something wrong. Or I don't know, I find a lot of comfort in just the truth of like, no, oftentimes it's the worst, but also it's worth it. And you can do it anyway, right? Like being able right. to hold those seemingly contradictory things together, I feel like takes a lot of the anxiety that we feel about, am I doing it wrong? Is this just my problem? Is there something wrong with me? So I'm assuming for you at, you know, a relatively young age to hear that was might have been a relief also. 
Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's such the cool thing about podcasts and blogs and all these, you know, things we have access to online. Now you don't have to cross the ocean to to hear someone tell you these things. Like you can find, like if there's something you want to do, you can find an example of somebody who's at least doing something pretty close. And it's not that you have to do it like them, but I think it's so heartening to say, wow, this thing that I thought was a barrier, it's been broken and I can do it too. So something that I'm always curious about anyone who works in, I mean, acting or this kind of segment of entertainment, I feel like the rejection that comes in that field is is more, not that there isn't rejection in every field, but is more kind of clear cut and immediate and often. And I'm curious what that experience was like for you or maybe even like how you built resilience around that. Yeah. So, I mean, every time you go on an audition, I mean, if you want a job, you have to go in and prove it, right? Like you've got to, even if you know people, like you got to walk through the door, you got to, you got to book the job. Um, and it is constant, like you don't get it, you don't get it, you don't get it. And a lot of times you don't hear why. So you don't know like, oh, I really like interpreted the character wrong or, I did a really crappy job today, or the reason is just as likely to be, I have brown hair and they decided to go with a blonde, or the lead actor is 5'9 and they didn't want anyone taller than him, or like you just don't, you don't know. (laughs) Um, So some things that that I learned just from auditioning and um, like through the wise counsel of of professors and and other actors um, is when you go into audition, like you're trying to you're trying to get that role, right? Like I'm going into audition for the role of, you know, Sally Peterson. Um, instead of making it about getting the role of Sally Peterson, instead of making it about booking the job, focus on booking the room. So if I'm not right for Sally Peterson, hopefully the casting director and the producers know that I'm right for something. Mm-hmm. They know that I'm talented they know that I'm reliable they they like they want to find a place for me down the road and that really makes it about building relationships um, and like building your reputation and gaining trust with people instead of like all this pressure on just this one role and that helped a lot yeah not so much pressure on like the black and white, like yes or no, right? Like not that you don't uh-huh. care about that. Of course you do. Like if you want to book the job, same thing. You know, you want clients, you want that. Like, you know, I think that could spin off into any business, but that if the experience of going in auditioning, pitching, you know, however someone would apply that to their own, you know, career, I think that that's really great advice, being able to make it about more than that, that it's not so much pressure just on whether this other person says yes to you or not. Right, so the goal is, so, so if I go in and I don't book the role, then the other hopeful outcome is, wow, this casting director and these producers, like they liked me, I made an impression, they're going to remember me and hopefully call me in the next time they think something is right for me. Or like if I send them a postcard to follow up, they're going to at least remember who I am. (laughs) You know, there's so many different casting directors and people to meet and kind of hobnob with and to become known, you know, around. Um, It's overwhelming, right? But if you can if you like focusing on, okay, like, let me build a, a working relationship with this person. So that like, if they saw me on the street, they would recognize my face. Or if they got mail from me, they would open it. Or if my agent called, they would be like, Oh yeah, Lara. Um, 
I feel like that's also just such a more human <laughs> way to do things than to make it be about like, did I achieve something on this? You know, like obviously you want to, you want to book the job and you want to get clients and you want to get the gig and whatever, but um, kind of being able to play the long game was really helpful. So tell me what was the, you know, if you remember, I don't know if you remember the day or whatever, where it started to feel like maybe this isn't the career for me forever. <sighs> I think it was slow and gradual. There wasn't like one day I popped out of bed and was like, I'm done with this. Um, but I do remember I had worked on, I don't remember what show. I, it was uh, like a network TV procedural drama. Um, I had been a, a co-star for the day. Um, and like, I had a great day. I, um, you know, I had my own little dressing room and, um, like had a fun time with the, with the makeup and the hair and the costume people. And, um, I was shooting scenes with one of the series regulars and he and I really hit it off. And, um, like I just got to pick his brain about the industry and just like had this really fun day, enjoyed working with the director. Like the scenes went well, um, had a great lunch through craft services. Like it was a good day on set. Um, and I got home at the end of like a 12 hour day or something. Um, you know, and the thought that went through my head was, did what I did today make anyone's life better? And did it make my life better? And outside from just like having a good day and the way that anyone can like contribute to the world by being a kind person <laughs> to those around them, um, I didn't feel like how I spent my day was significant. Um, and that was such a, such a weird thought to be popping into my head because like I loved acting. Like I had been doing this for a decade. Like I had gone from theater to company to theater to company, like putting my belongings in my car and driving from gig to gig to gig. I had moved to Los Angeles. I had gotten my MFA. Like, I had been hustling and working and working so hard for so what, for what felt like so long. Um, and really like the sacrifices I made didn't feel so much like sacrifices. They just felt like, well, that's what you do when you're an actor and that's what I'll do. Um, so to kind of start questioning at that point, like, is this really what I want to do? Is this serving me? Is this serving anybody else? Um, I mean, the best word I can think to describe it was it felt like a betrayal to ask the question and then to have the answer start to come up. I don't know. I don't think so. I don't know if this is right anymore. Um, that was really hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, when you've dedicated a significant amount of time, energy, right, like your life to something and then to have it for whatever reason, maybe not feel like exactly what you thought it was going to feel like. Right? Like, what do you do with that emotion? It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you do next? Um, I sat on the couch and cried for a while. <laughs> um, I, you know, I started talking to a couple friends about it, but um, I think there's such a stigma. I don't know if other, you know, fields are like this, but like acting, being an actor is like such a part of your identity, you know, especially if you're in one of these industry cities, that, that's probably how most people know you. Um, you're like, you're in that city for that purpose. And a lot of your, 
your friends and your social contacts. They know you through your work and because of your work. And so much of the rest of my life was organized around the pursuit of that career. Like where I, not just where I lived in the country, but where I lived in the city and like all the time I spent in the car driving and, you know, just like the, in the extracurricular things I would do and how I would like, if I made money through acting, so much of it got reinvested in my career. And, um, it just talking to people, to, to acting friends and being like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Just felt like, Oh, I'm the quitter. You know, I'm going to be the quitter who, um, throws in the towel and like moves to Iowa or something. Um, <laughs> I threw in the towel and moved to Texas, but, um, (laughs) but, you know, just being able to like start having those conversations, um, was really helpful, you know, to just kind of test out this idea with some people that I could trust. Um, and you know, I did a lot of journaling and I did a lot of, um, creative work, you know, outside of acting. I needed to know that I could have a creative life outside of this career. Um, and that if I stopped being an actor, it didn't mean that like, I didn't have the mind or heart of an artist anymore. Um, it, it, and it took me probably like two and a half years um, to kind of go through this uh, letting go and grieving process of that career and to say, this doesn't have to be what I do. And I am a person <laughs> without this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the identity piece is huge, right? Like when you realize how big of a part of your identity, something has become, it is, I think grieving processes like, like the absolute best way to describe it, that you essentially have to let that go and then learn kind of who you are without that as you are like frontline defining factor. Yep. Yeah. So where did career coaching come into play? Like what was the, in this two and a half year period, what made you switch to this? Well, I knew. So when I came home, from that TV show and was asking myself, like, did this make a difference? Did this matter to anyone? Like I I really knew that I wanted to do something that felt more service oriented. Um, and I had a couple false starts. So first I thought I might want to be a acting teacher. So I had gotten a call from my grad school that said, Hey, we've got a, you know, one of your professors is going on sabbatical for the semester. Can you come teach her classes? Um, and it was during pilot season that this was happening. So I had to make this big decision. Like, am I, like, if I go teach at this university for the semester, I'm basically like, I have to tell my agent I can't participate in pilot season. And that is a big no, no. Uh, but I decided to do that. So, um, you know, it was really fun to be, to be back around like the energy of students who are learning and who are doing it because they love it. Not because like, now it's all about headshots and auditioning and who can I impress and my IMDb star meter. Like there was just a real um, good energy, um, you know, being back in the classroom and like really letting the work be about artistic expression and exploration and, and connecting with an audience instead of, I don't know, sometimes like if you're like auditioning for a voiceover spot or something, it's about selling diapers. Like there's no meaning beyond that, right? It's just about selling diapers. <laughs> um, so like to go back to a, to a place where it was like, uh, about the art and the passion that felt really good. It's like, oh man, I'm going to be an acting teacher. Like I have my MFA. This will be great. Um, I had signed up to take this other certification program that like would give me even more, you know, clout or whatever, in addition to the MFA. And like right before I was supposed to do this other certification program, I I pulled the plug and, um, 
there was just something that wasn't quite right. Like being in the teacher role felt good. Being in the arts felt good. But like there's some other academia stuff. I just wasn't sure if I wanted to deal with long term. Mm -hmm. So I didn't do that. (laughs) And then I thought I was going to be a web designer. And I bought all these books about web design. And I was making websites for myself and my friends and, and trying it out. And I discovered that I really love design, but I don't like having to make a website for someone else. Because I, I don't necessarily, like, I just didn't enjoy the process of like having to take their words and their images and make something cohesive and make it so they like it. I didn't like that. I just wanted to design stuff for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I kind of got to coaching. Um, I had worked with a couple career coaches uh, when I was in Los Angeles, um, who specifically worked with actors and artists around their careers. And I just really liked them. I felt good when I was around them. I really enjoyed the people that I met through doing their classes and workshops. Um, And it just seemed like they had really cool lives too. Um, And I knew from working with them, like the big impact that their work had, you know, on the people that they worked with. And so I thought, I think that is a place where I can get a lot of these things that I want. You know, I want to be working with cool people. I want to be creating new things. I want to be collaborating. Um, And I want to do something that feels like it's making a difference. And coaching seems like a place where I can do all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's where I landed. Yeah, I love you know, kind of what you shared about the the false starts and the couple of things that you tried. Because I mean, again, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about before about, you know, was it a mistake to move to Texas or like really like the stepping stones to things that the only way that you ever know how you feel about something is to actually try that thing. Like it's so easy to have a fantasy of this is what it would be like to have this career. This is what it would be like to write a book or run a marathon or do whatever, right? That like your fantasy, I think, is often different from reality and not to say that it's maybe it's better maybe it's worse it's just usually different and there's I think a lot of value to be gained from just giving yourself permission to try stuff which sound I mean I don't almost like sound silly saying it but that's something that I think is challenging sometimes to just be like I'm just gonna try this and see and if it doesn't work out then I give myself permission to move on right and you know you can do that without something that I talk about with my clients a lot is you can experiment these things without like dumping your whole life upside down. Mm-hmm. So if web design is something you're interested in, don't quit your job, but like on the weekends, play with Squarespace, like make a website for yourself, you know, make one for someone else. See if you like it, see if you're any good at it. And if you like, you know, working with clients and, um, you know, if it's something that also you're, you're, you know, see what the client response is. Does your friend like the site you built them? You know, like get your hands a little dirty. Um, and that's like an easy incremental way to try stuff out without like throwing a stick of dynamite in your life to, to figure it out. I'm so glad you brought this up. I feel like there's such a narrative. I mean, especially right now, especially on the internet of this whole, like, burn it down, follow your passion. Like the only way that you like are serious about some things, if you quit everything else to do it, right? Like there's, there's like an, oh. a narrative that we're sold around that kind of stuff that seems really sexy. And that like the idea of just play with Squarespace on the weekend, that's not sexy advice, but it's good advice. Right. And like, I think, I don't know, there's definitely, I mean, I know we're going to dig into that, but so that kind of brings me to my next question, which is about your approach in general. Like how would you describe what makes you different as a coach or like maybe what you believe when it comes to like helping people with their career stuff? 
Yeah. So I think my experience, um, you know, being an actor, having this career that was a true passion that I really loved, and then having that fizzle, um, and then kind of my process of getting from that into something else, um, and some kind of aha moments I had and all that really inform my philosophy and approach now. So um, I am not a follow your passion person. Um, I ha- I'm nothing against someone following their passion. So if you want to go do that, then like I'm, I'm all in favor. Um, but for people like me who tried follow your passion and either it didn't work or it worked for a little while <laughs> or, you know, what, like, what are these people who don't have a passion supposed to do? Like <laughs> I've worked with so many people who they're like, I just, I wish I had a thing, but there's nothing that I love enough to like spend doing 40 hours a week. Like that leaves those people nowhere. Um, so one of my big aha moments during my whole career chaos <laughs> transition period, um, that helped me actually get to coaching was, um, there was an afternoon I was so frustrated with like trying to figure this out. What am I going to do? What am I going to be? I just like sat down at my desk at home. I pulled out a blank sheet of paper and I made a list of all those things I love to do. Acting, teaching, web design, you know, a couple other things that were just passions and I really loved. And I just was like staring at that sheet of paper. I was like, okay, I'm going to write down why I like these things. What is it about these things that really matters to me? So I started started making those lists and looking at the sheet of paper. And I realized that all these things that I love, these passions, really had a couple of things that connected them that were kind of underneath the surface. Um, all of them were about not just connection, but communion, like really like a deep um a deep connection and and a, and communication with other people. They were all about creativity or the creative process or some kind of like expression, um, and they all had to do with making something out of nothing, like being able to really make something with somebody. So I started looking at those three elements and saying, okay, I think that's what really matters. I think those core elements are what I'm really after. And it's less about, am I doing it as an actor or a teacher or a web designer? It's more about our acting or teaching or web designing or what else are those, those career titles going to give me these core things I really want. And that was a huge, like, you know, galaxies collide um, moment for me because the light bulb moment was it's less about what I do and more about why I do it. And that's the foundation of my entire approach to careers. Um, it's so much more about that, that drive that we don't often even articulate um, because we're so busy chasing job titles or, you know, we, we go to school and we learn subject matter. So we think like, if I want to do something I love, it has to be English or history or math or science, or it's got to fit in a box like that. Um, And what I've discovered working, you know, through my own experience and working with clients is that if we take that top layer off and look at what's underneath, that's when stuff gets powerful. Um, So I approach everything instead of from a passion, from a sense of purpose. And what are those underlying things that really drive you, that really make you um, 
feel energized and fulfilled and self-expressed on a personal level, but also like they connect you outward to other people and, and let you do things that are going to have a, a positive impact on other people or the environment or the culture or the world. Um, so I would tell you to ditch your passions <laughs> and start with purpose if, you know, if you're confused or it's not working out like you thought it was going to, which is what happened with me. Yeah, something that I've heard you say that really resonated a lot with me is this idea that kind of no matter how many different careers you've had or things you've done, that there's always a through line, right? Like it sounds like that exercise that you took yourself through was, okay, on the surface, acting and web design are completely different things, right? Like someone would think there's no like relation from one to the other. But actually, when you start digging into what it is about each of those things that you feel like you're particularly well suited for, or what it is that was fulfilling for you about it, that there do tend to be commonalities. And that was funny. This is, I've told the story before, but this is exactly what happened to me right around my 30th birthday that I had this kind of meltdown of looking back over my 20s and all these I had had like this really winding career pet like worked in things that were seemingly completely unrelated and was giving myself a really hard time of what's wrong with you that you didn't just pick a thing at you know age 21 and then get better and better at that thing and do, like we do we idealize that right and so I think it was it basically I wound up kind of <laughs> by doing the same thing that you were just talking about of, OK, what is it about all of these things? Like what is because I'm the common denominator in all of these things. So obviously there's something that, you know what I mean, they all have in common. What is underneath it? Why did I enjoy this? And then why was it eventually not a good fit? Why did I enjoy this? And then why was, you know, then whatever yeah. and kind of looking at, OK, well, the skills you learn in one industry, like I was the director of a children's day camp for five years, which seems like wildly different from anything that I'm doing now. And I mean, I guess in a lot of ways it is, but trying to look at, okay, just because you change careers, it's not like all of the skills and everything that you've learned, like those come with you. Okay. So what was it about that that made me good at the next thing and the next thing? And just trying to see, I don't know, to like you said, to get beyond maybe the industry or the job title and look at, you know, what is it and getting clear for me, I kind of recently did that again this year of being really clear about something that I enjoy is, this might sound silly, but kind of the opportunity to surprise and delight people that combined with honest expression. So I'm like, well, yeah, this is a good fit. (laughs) Like what I'm not that other things couldn't be a good fit, but kind of trying to understand who you are and the, I guess the way you phrase it, like what kind of the sense of purpose is behind it. Yeah. And it's so powerful once you start to figure these things out. Um, and it does make the things that feel random or you're like, I'm, I've been so scattered. No, actually, you've probably been really predictable if you are looking at the stuff going on underneath. Like, I know something that um, a lot of my clients will do is at a certain point in our career change process, they'll have to make a list of contender careers where they're listing like, you know, five to eight careers that they think could be a good possible fit. And, you know, they'll they'll share these lists with me in the group and they're like, you would think these are like ideas for totally different people. Like who on their list has, you know, an event designer and um, a webmaster and a school teacher and a veterinarian and an architect. Like this seems so weird and scattered. But if you look at my sense of purpose and, you know, my through lines and all of that, this piece of paper absolutely represents the best options for me because we're not, we're not relying on, just the job title or the subject matter to inform us if this is a good fit. We're looking at stuff that's so much more important and deeper than that. Um, And, you know, like, as you have figured out, once you kind of start to learn to look at it that way, um, 
it's so much easier to apply for jobs, to look for jobs. Like, you know, you know what you're looking, you know, the substance of what you're looking for. And like, organizations and companies are going to call it whatever they call it, but you know what you're after. And that is really like, you can, you can make good choices for yourself when you know that. Yeah. Something, uh, similarly related to this that was, has also been really helpful for me is thinking again, like when you're just thinking of the job title or like the fantasy of that career, I, it's easy to avoid the day-to-day reality of what it is to actually do that work. And it's been helpful for me to also kind of ask myself, okay, well, what do you want to do every day? Like, what are the types of things? It's funny, like there's been periods of time in different kind of uh, whatever evolutions of my career where I've told myself, well, like if you want to grow, like you have to have a virtual assistant or you have to do that, right? And every time I've tried to do that, it's been miserable because of how much I love like the organizational stuff that everybody (laughs) hates, right? That I finally had to get honest with myself and be like, no, you love this. So anything you do, like I love the kind of behind the scenes of the podcast. Like I love recording obviously too, but I feel like it's really fun to do the prep and to organize things and to, you know, upload things like to the website, <laughs> things that, like mostly people would be like, I would love to pay someone else to do that. And I know like I, I've also found there to be benefit from getting honest with myself about like just kind of the nitty gritty things that I really do enjoy and then things that I might not enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that like just knowing that about yourself and saying, okay, well, you know, all the advice would be to don't, don't do it this way, or there's a more efficient way. But, you know, especially if you're in a position like you are where you're creating your own job, like create the job you want, you know, (laughs) like edit the podcast, upload it. Like you get to be uploader in chief if you want, because you, you know, you get to call the shots, which is great. Mm-hmm. So going back again to what you were saying about purpose, I'd love to hear how you differentiate between purpose and passion. Cause I feel like that's something that is, it's sort of used interchangeably. Like what's, what does that mean to you? The difference between those? Okay. So let me, let me give you an example. All right. So let's say you've got someone who is a musician Okay. Um, and this person, she loves to play the guitar, right? And she could just, um, like sit in a room and play by herself, like all day long. It is so much about her experience of playing the enjoyment she gets from it. Um, does anyone else ever hear her play? Meh, like maybe, maybe not. It's more about getting lost in the activity and like how it makes her feel and what it does for her. Um, and there's nothing wrong with any about uh, nothing wrong with any of that. But I would say that is a person who is driven by passion, right? She wants to play the guitar just because she loves it and it's self-expression and it's something she enjoys. If we took someone else who played the guitar, um, who also loved to play and still had that still uh, still had that same you know enjoyment of it, but um, they started to look a little more outward. So it wasn't just about them and their enjoyment and the feelings that it gave them. And they wanted to play the guitar for a reason outside of themselves. Like, I love to play guitar. And um, it makes me so happy that I want to go create an album that's going to uplift other people. Or I love playing guitar and how it makes me happy. So I'm going to go like, play at a hospital, or I'm going to do a benefit, or I'm going to collaborate with this other artist so we can achieve some other effect. Um, that person, they, they still love it, and, and they're still passionate about it, but it's a, 
the person who's playing just for themselves, it's about their relationship to them to themselves. The person who's playing for someone else, it's about a relationship to something outside of themselves. Interesting. That's it's so funny. I, I feel so much of my relationship with writing in that example that you just gave that for whatever reason, I've never been able to maintain a consistent journaling practice. Like I don't just write for me. Like I'd like to, there's something that sounds like very, I don't know, lovely about that. Like I just love writing so much that I'm just going to, but like the truth is that I don't, like, I'm not going to do that, but I love writing and then sharing that, right? Like, I mean, I blogged for eight years and now do that through weekly emails that the periods of time where I've taken breaks from that, I don't write at all. Like it's very, like the sharing is like an absolute, like you can't remove it from the enjoyment of doing it for me. And that's funny. I don't know that I've ever really thought about that as clearly until you just made that example. So thanks for the therapy session. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. And, you know, I just, I want to be really clear that there's nothing wrong with doing passion-based work. And there are a lot of successful people that it's really about them and their enjoyment of the thing. And they have luckily found an audience who wants to pay them for it. Um, so it's not about one is better than the other. Um, but most everybody knows about the follow your passion model and that's what we're taught and that's what we learn and that's what the bumper stickers are. Um, so if, and when that doesn't work out, um, just to know that there's an alternative way to think about it and look for it. Well, and also with that, I think that it's also okay. And this is something that I have to tell myself all the time it's okay to not monetize everything that you enjoy, right? Like we, I think again, we have this culture of like, it has to be a side hustle. And if you love music, then you have to make money from it. And again, to your point, if that's something that you want to do and want to pursue, that's awesome. But it's also fine to just do things for fun. Like not everything has to be a side business. Exactly. You know, I also think, and something I'd love to hear your thoughts on in this idea of purpose, I think that there's a lot of people struggle with what I would say is the false belief that you have to, like the everyone only has one big purpose. And if you don't find it or if you don't figure it out, that you're destined to be kind of miserable and unfulfilled. And I remember something that my friend Jenny Blake said that really stuck with me. She was talking about how she's kind of given up on this idea of like your life purpose and thinks instead in terms of like project purpose, right? Like this is the thing that I'm writing this book. The purpose for this thing is this. And the next thing I create might have a different purpose. Or So I'm kind of curious from like a higher level of interpreting this idea of purpose, how you think about it. Yeah, I, um, I don't think there's any such thing as a, I call it a, like one, you know, ring to rule them all star crossed capital P (laughs) purpose, right? Talk talk about pressure, like you have to go out, you, you go out and you find this one, like cosmically ordained thing to guide your entire life. And if you miss it, what you just wander the earth into like, I don't know. I don't like that. Um, and, and I don't think it's helpful. I think it puts so much pressure on people to find the thing or if they thought they found it and then it didn't work out. Oh, does that, you know, what does that mean about you? Um, you know, have you failed your purpose or was that not your purpose to begin with? I mean, I, I think it just sets people up to be disappointed and like struggling for this perfectionistic thing. Um, I lean more towards Jenny Blake and and I don't think there's, I think, I think everyone has a sense of purpose, right? Like I've got a sense of this is what matters to me. This is, this is what I have to give. This is how I can serve other people. This is how I like to connect. Um, And I think it's something that evolves over time as we evolve as people. So 
Um, you know, when you're 13, you might be thinking about something different than when you're 73. Um, or you might find that actually you do have some through lines and that there are some things that have remained consistent throughout your life that are important to you and that are going to drive you. But, um, you know, I think it, your sense of purpose evolves. And if you don't let it, um, that's just a recipe for being stuck and kind of ramming against this obstacle that doesn't need to be there. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you work with a lot of people who are in career transition, right? Like that that's yeah. kind of the heart of what you do. So I'd love to hear, uh, I don't know if mistakes are the right word, but what are some of the mistakes that you think that people make during kind of that phase, like of a career transition? I mean, we've talked about some of the just kind of like misconceptions about what a career has to be, you know, and, um, and what purpose is all about. So, you know, outside of just like, kind of understanding the role, you know, a career can serve in your life. Um, I think there's some practical stuff that people kind of fumble with when it comes to like actually quitting your job, actually starting a business, actually, you know, just like all those nuts and bolts thing, things. Um, we talked a little bit about this with the idea that, you know, you can just experiment with something. Um, I think a lot of people think that, there's got to be this abrupt, like, well, I went to bed one night as a, you know, administrative assistant. And when I wake up in the morning, I'm going to be a National Geographic photographer. Um, <laughs> usually doesn't go like that. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, I encourage people to give to plan and give yourself a transition period. And I call it a crossfade. So instead of like, you're flipping a switch from one thing to the other, it is this fade out of your old career and a fade in to your new career. Um, and I wish I had had like this concept when I was going through this because I think it would have made me less miserable. Um, but you know, understanding that that these things are going to cross over for a period of time, and it's kind of like the awkward teenage phase, you know, where like you just like your elbows are sticking out and your knees are knobby and like your clothes don't fit quite right. Um, you know, you're you kind of have you're doing two things at once, you know, you're, you're letting go of this old thing and you're growing into this new thing. Um, and to let that be part of the plan. And for some people, a cross fade might take a month. For some people, it might take three years. Um, it really just depends on where you're starting, where you're headed, the resources and time and energy you can devote to the new thing in the meantime. Um, but, but that idea that like, if I'm not, if I don't, you know, if I don't quit my job by February 27th, you know, 2017, I have failed. Um, that may not be a, a realistic way for you to make that transition. You know, you can, you can usually go slower and be easier on yourself than you think you can. Um, and that's not an indication that you're doing it wrong. It's an indication that you are doing a crossfade, you know, mm-hmm. and that you're, you're letting it be gradual. Yeah. So if I think of the common cliche advice or I don't know, whatever, follow your passion is at one end of the spectrum. I feel like the other end of the spectrum is this whole idea of like, well, you have to be practical and like must be nice for you that you can do something that you love, but I can't quit my job because X, Y, Z reasons. Right. And which I mean is also real. (laughs) Like not everyone can just be like, okay, bye. Like I have all the money that I need to like, I don't have to do this anymore. And so I mean, I feel like that's one of the most common, I feel like two common fears that I would love to hear your thoughts on. One of that, like the very practical, like 
the, not practical, but kind of the, the, the idea that, you know, doing something that gives you a sense of purpose or something that you love that like, that's for other people, right. That like, well, must be nice for you, but I couldn't do that because reasons like, what are your kind of thoughts around that? Yeah. So (laughs) this is another reason that sometimes this takes time. Like I, I don't co-sign someone saying must be nice for you. I could never do that. Well, have you tried to do it? Um, and how did you try to do it? And, you know, like there, yes, there are some people that have special circumstances. They marry rich or they, you know, like something happens where they don't have to worry about money. I, my clients are not those people. Like I was not that person. I did not have like some magical financial safety net and connections. Like I'm just, just a person who wants to do a different job. Right. Um, it's a choice. Like it's a choice. And like we were talking about earlier, sometimes there are sacrifices along the way. Um, it doesn't happen overnight. But if you have the vision for where you're going, um, you work towards it. You know, it doesn't mean that like, because I hate my job, I can just go, I can quit and go set up shop on the internet. It doesn't mean that because I love, you know, painting, people are going to pay me to do it. Um, I think like there's a real, there can be a real childish view that like, if I love it and work hard enough, the money will come. Probably not. Yeah. Um, if it worked like that, we would just all be, you know, like finger painting all day. Um, and, and, you know, in the, in the, in the other side is, well, that's not practical. You can't do that. It can't happen. Or I can't do it because my life has, you know, I have these restrictions. You, you work to remove restrictions slowly, you know, like it's just, this gets me very, Uh, hopped up because I've tapped into your extreme deep feels. Yeah. (laughs) You've hit the button. Um, because I, the big reason, you know, the big reason that I do the work that I do, and this is not on my website. This is not like a soundbite I've prepared. I just know for me, the big reason I do the work I do is because I want to help people realize the um, profound amount of choice they have in their lives. Yes. Mm -hmm. And when I see someone pout and throw up their hands or criticize someone else for trying to have agency and move their life in a direction that feels right for them while also being of service to other people, no, (laughs) no. Like there's plenty of examples of people who have changed careers um, while having kids or student debt or paying a mortgage or whatever. it's a choice. Mm-hmm. No, I think, I mean, one, that's a beautiful answer. It's an honest answer. And I think, I also think that it's the only answer, you know, if we, there is a lot of safety in holding like desperately onto our excuses, right? That like this idea that, well, I can't do this because, you know, whatever, like you said, because I have a mortgage, because kids, because, you know, whatever the things are, it's like, and it's the interesting thing about excuses I find is that it's not that they're untrue, right? Like you, yes, you do have kids. You do have a mortgage. You do have student debt. You don't have, right? Like the magical fantasy, you know, whatever you said, financial safety net, right? Like all of those things are true, but they could be true 
and you could slowly do something right in another direction. It's this idea that I don't know, like it feels even if we're complaining about it, right, they sound like complaints. It sounds like we're unhappy. We're definitely still benefiting from it because we're using it as, I don't know, like a fear protection blanket, like a reason not to try something scary or not to like have to move in any direction. So I don't know. I love just want to underscore what you said about this kind of I feel like that the first step is this mindset shift to believing that change is possible, not just in an abstract way, but for you personally, right? Like believing that change is possible, that it can be gradual and that we do have more choices than we think. Yeah. And, and listen, it's scary to do that. I mean, you know, six months ago, my husband quit his salary job, (laughs) like quit. We, packed up everything we owned in a car. We moved across the country. Like all of that has been stressful. And there are times we've been scared and there are times we've butted heads about it. And there are times we're like, how are we going to handle this? I don't know what's going to happen to our health insurance. We'll have to figure it out. But like those are obstacles, right? And they're things that you overcome. Um, And the rate at which you overcome them depends on a lot of things, you know? So maybe you can't do it as fast as you wanted, or maybe you can't do it as complete as you wanted at first. Maybe instead of quitting your job, you go to part-time. Maybe instead of like starting your own business, you work for another entrepreneur. So you get to learn the ropes. Like take take the stepping stones to get there, and know that there is risk involved and that it's scary, but that it's a thing you can do. And if your plan doesn't work out, you change the plan. Like, you, you know, if circumstances change, you change the plan. Um, and I think if people could trust themselves enough to know that, like, on some deep level, I've got this, um, it's it becomes easier to take those steps, those, those little beginning steps to, to create the kind of career and the kind of life that you really want. Mm -hmm. I also think that there has to be an honest conversation with yourself in which you do give up whatever the kind of daydream fantasy, which I mean, I know that sounds negative, but stay with me for a second. I feel like it's really easy (laughs) when you're in a situation, you know, let's just say a job, right? But it could be a relationship. It could be, you know, the city you live, it could be anything that isn't working for you to instead of making these kind of unsexy, small, you know, worthwhile changes like what you're describing to not make any changes because change is hard and scary and to instead hold on to the like, fantasy of I walk in and flip the table and quit my job or the fantasy of I'm going to sell everything and like move to Bali or, you know, whatever these things that we hold on to, or, you know, my life would be better if, you know, I'm just going to like live in my van and travel around or whatever the (laughs) things are. And each of those things might actually be the right fit for someone. So it's not about whether or not, like, it's not about those things, but I think it's really easy to hold on to these kind of like big dramatic fantasy life overhauls that then make us unwilling to what we see as compromise. Like what you said, maybe it's not you quit your job, but you transition to going down to part-time and you start to build this thing slowly over a period of years. Like that doesn't sound sexy at all, but it's rivet. It's worthwhile and it works. And so I think there's also, I don't know. Well, I'm completely speaking from my own experience. Any transition that has worked has required some kind of an adjustment of sure. It's fun to daydream about X, Y, or Z thing, but why am I not actually willing to make 
less sexy changes that might actually have an impact on my real life, right? Like even if it's not going to make like as good of a, you know, like Instagram post or whatever, that it's still (laughs) worth doing. Yeah. And I think, you know, we also forget that those in those small incremental changes, um, if you do them consistently and if you're like reevaluating your steps along the way, that really adds up. I mean, you know, because yesterday was the six year anniversary of my business, I was just been doing a lot of, you know, thinking back around what was it like six years ago? What was I thinking? What was I afraid of? What was I hopeful about? And I didn't flip the switch. You know, like I kept my part time job as a personal assistant. I continued to audition for things here and there. Um, you know, like I just made my little website and put it online and like eventually started getting clients. And it was this sometimes slow, you know, sluggish <laughs> process. And then there were like, there were periods where like, like growth would happen quickly and something would accelerate or there would be some kind of breakthrough. And then there were other times where, oh crap, I actually uh, am not making the money I thought I was. So I need to go get a full-time job while I continue to grow my business. That happened for me. Um, There were times where like, I just wanted to do something else. So I would go and get part-time work for a while. Um, It doesn't have to be this linear, like curve, you know, on the graph where it's just ticking up, 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 up. Like there can be peaks and valleys. And um, I think sometimes we think peaks and valleys, like that's the, I don't know, the failure blueprint or something. Like, I just think that's what most people's success looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, Like none of the people I know that are in a career they really love and are doing work that's meaningful for them, that it was just like this smooth sailing. Like they got on, you know, the little sky lift and just went do, 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 all the way up to the mountaintop. Like there's setbacks and there's hard parts and, um, and there's parts that looks like you're not going to make it. And, um, and it's okay to quit. But, um, you know, if you still want the thing, you keep working at it the best you can, given the circumstances. Mm-hmm. Another fear that I think, um, where I mentioned the two things, like one being the, well, that might be nice for them, but I can't do that because I feel like another common fear is like the fear of taking a step backward or this, this idea of like, but I've spent years building up so much credibility or a high salary or a like, and I'm going to lose all that. Right. Or like, if I do this, then I'm going to like, no one's going to follow me on Twitter or do like just the idea of like loss with change that we keep ourselves trapped by the success that we've had in the past, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that makes the, you know, shifting into something new hard is because we don't, we don't want to lose what we have and we're afraid we're not going to get what we want. Right. So it's like, you want like, or you want to hold on to this thing over here before it's like, you know, I want to start dating someone before I break up with my boyfriend or something. (laughs) You could do that. Or, you know, um, Sometimes, yeah, sometimes you have to say goodbye to stuff. Sometimes you're going to lose things. Um, I think you got to look at the net gain. You know, like, if I quit acting, are those people still going to be my friends? Am I still going to have that income? Am I still going to have that, like, outlet for creativity? What am I going to lose? Well, what do I, you know, if I work towards this other thing, what do I get? And what matters more to me? You know, like, that's a question that I keep coming back to for myself, Um, and with my clients is in this circumstance, in this moment, you know, in this choice, what matters most? 
Um, and you have to pick, you know, not everything can matter most. <laughs> you have to decide what that's going to be right here, right now. Um, and hopefully you can choose to, to adjust towards that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also think, you know, for me, I'll go back to the blogging example, right? Like I had blogged for eight years and just got to the point where, I mean, the most honest answer I can give you is that I didn't want to do that anymore. Right. And hadn't (laughs) wanted to for a while. And I had a lot of those, that fear of like, but you've built up this audience or, but this was able to transition into a business that makes you money. Like, but this, and I was afraid that if I stopped doing that, like you said, right, that you're never going to find what it is that you want, or you're never going to find something that is at least comparable in status or whatever as what you had. But I had to be really honest with myself that I wasn't enjoying that. And, you know, what I I had to kind of pull out, all right, well, what do you get from this, right? This idea of connection or kind of creating art, honest expression that then like leads to connection. Like, okay, Nicole, there's more than one way to do that. It's funny, like the podcast was essentially born out of deleting my entire blog and deciding to move in a different direction that like I had, it was like a relief for me to kind of have the conversation with myself of, there's more than one way to get from point A to point B. If I want to be doing honest expression, if I want to be, you know, in conversation with people, okay, well, what if there's another way, right? Like what if blogging isn't the only way to do something? And so, I don't know, it was helpful for me to kind of expand what is it that I'm really looking for and am I willing to take, you know, whatever the immediate loss is, like you said, for the overall net gain. Yeah, and something that um that I talk about with clients is it's really easy to come up with that mentalist of, well, this won't work because, you know, and like that'll stop you in your tracks before you even like apply for a job or something. Well, this job won't work because this won't work because I can't do that because, um, you know, to just shift the question, you know, and say, how could I make this work or under what circumstances would this work? And then you kind of get to define some parameters around it. So you still don't have to do it and maybe it still won't work, but you could at least say, okay, I don't want to blog, but I still want to have, like, I still want to have a, you know, a presence and I still want to have these conversations and, you know, I still want to show up for this, like, what could that look like? Under what circumstances would that be beneficial? Mm-hmm. Podcast, you know? Um, I just think like, I don't know, it sounds like life coachy poo to say, you know, shift the question and go from being like certain that it's not going to work out to curious about how it could. Um, I mean, that's how we've ended up moving to Atlanta really is because we, we kind of got over the this isn't going to work and here's why it's not going to work and here's the things that are going to go wrong and started asking, how could we make this work? Like, Mm -hmm. what would we have to change? What would we have to do to make this possible? Yeah, it's honestly my favorite question in every situation. I know that's come up on other podcast episodes, this idea of like, what would have to be true in order for me to feel awesome about this? Yeah. And like, it's applicable in every situation, right? Like you're having a hard conversation, you know, with your spouse or with your mom or with whatever, like it, it, or deciding to make a career change or just putting yourself in the position of not being kind of like a naysayer or looking for, you know, digging in your heels of reasons why something isn't going to happen and like forcing yourself to be like, okay, well, what would have to be true in order for me to feel good about this? Right. Or putting that question to someone else or, you know, yeah, I agree. I think that that's a really powerful, yeah. While it might seem like woo woo life coach, whatever, like it works. Like that is a skill that works, you know? So, um, so if you, let's say have a client, I'm sure you have this all the time who knows that they're not happy, they want a new career, but they don't know what it is that they want to do. Like how can people start to figure that out? 
Um, so through line is a really quick way, right, to start to get some idea. But um, but that's really one layer. Like I have them bake pretty much a three layer cake. So um, the the purpose layer is like the top layer, and that's always where I have people start. And I think it's the hardest place to start, honestly, because you're asking yourself the hardest questions. You know, what do I stand for? Who or what do I want to champion? Um, how do I want to be of service? How do I want to contribute? What legacy do I want to leave? I mean, that can keep you awake at night, you know, asking some of those big questions. But right, I that's think, not like, like, what do I want to have for breakfast? Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So um, sometimes clients are like, not happy with me at this point, because they're like, well, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. Um, but it's where you start. So, um, so, you know, asking yourself those big questions to just kind of shake off all the other stuff that you think is a career is supposed to be about, you know, and let it be about those big things. Um, and reconnecting to why even work in the first place? You know, if it's not just a paycheck, what else can it be for you? And what do you want it to be? Like, that's where I always start with people. Um, and that's kind of like the first layer that we're looking at. Um, and the second layer, I call that the why, and then we're looking at the what. So we're looking at like the actual things you do, the stuff you're good at, like activities you can do. Um, are you, are you good at organizing? Are you, you know, are you a writer? Are you a connector? Do you, um, have a degree in chemical engineering? Like what are the things you do? Um, and then the last little layer that we're looking at is uh, the how. So we're talking about, um, your level of responsibility at work, how much you get paid, um, like the environment that you work in. Are you on a team? Are you an entrepreneur? Um, like all of those kind of conditions around work, like, are you an introvert? Are you an extrovert? Do you want to be in a noisy office? Do you want to have deadlines? Do you want to like have a lot of accountability or no? Like we're looking at all those kind of conditions and circumstances around work. And then you've got to find something that will appease like all those layers of the cake if we're using that analogy, right? So it's not just like, here's where follow your passion goes wrong, right? You're just looking at that middle layer. You're just looking at the what. So if you have, you know, something that you, you really love and you're passionate about, but it doesn't have a greater sense of purpose for you, or you're doing it in an environment that you hate, you're not going to be happy. Um, so I make sure we're looking at all three of those layers. So, so just like with purpose, like that for me is the foundation. And I think that's the most important place to start, but we don't stop there. We're also looking at the what and the how layers. Um, so that's kind of like the full process we're going through, but it, you know, it starts with that. Why do, why do I want to work? How do I want to help? What matters most? Yeah, no, I love this. I mean, and obviously you have incredible resources and stuff on your site and people can, you know, work with you and, and this kind of stuff. So this is like the tip of the iceberg, right? Like there's obviously so much more. Um, I would love to kind of slate pivot a little bit and talk a little bit about your, like you as an entrepreneur, you as a coach and this idea that, again, I think a misconception is that even, you know, let's say you do find something where all of those layers right, of the cake are met, like it sounds like you have with your career. Even if you love what you do, you don't love it all the time. <laughs> I think that's also sure. a misconception. And so this might be a really strange question, but I would love for you to tell me your least favorite part of, you know, running your own business or what you do. Like, what's the thing that you bump up against? When tech goes wrong. <laughs> yes. Okay. Say more I, about that. Oh, I just, so I still build my own website 
Um, remember when I was going to be a web designer? I am, but just for me. Um, so if like, if ever, like the, I can't figure out a piece of code or like something displays one way on the back end and then on the front end, it's not working. I had this like tech nightmare for a couple months this summer where my opt-in forms weren't working and like hundreds of people would sign up for my newsletter list. And instead of going to my list, it would come to my inbox for some reason. And I would have to manually add these people to my mailing list. Uh, I hate that stuff. I just want to push buttons and have it work. Yo, I hear you. That's, it's funny for me. (laughs) I mean, whenever I can record for the podcast in person, you know, that's great, but that's like 2% of the time. It's obviously you and I are on Skype right now and it's like Skype's amazing or it's a dumpster fire. There's like nothing in between. Yeah. And there's literally nothing I can do. I haven't found anything better. I've tried other things. Like it is the best option, but yet you're still like at the whim of the internet. You're at the whim of this thing. Like I had, I remember one episode a couple of seasons ago where Skype dropped the call four times, like literally four times in the same episode. I'm just like, oh my God, you know, you asked for two hours of someone's time. And it's like, of course it's not my fault, you know, but I feel, I, I hear you. That is definitely the thing where I'm like, can I just like, what's the like sacrificial burning of the herbs that I can do to like pray to the Skype gods that everything works or, <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So to combat that, like I try to use stuff that's easy to use, that's user friendly. Um, I use like this one big system that handles a lot like, like my newsletter and my shop and like a bunch of stuff goes through one, um, outfit. So at least I'm not like having to log into seven different things a day, which is, has helped. Um, (laughs) but yeah, that's, yeah, no, I hear you. Wait. So now I'm curious, what is that? What system do you use? Um, I use Simplero. Simplero. I've never heard of that. Writing that down. I'll put that in the show notes for anyone who's interested. Yeah, so like my newsletter goes through there. Um, my I use Stripe as a payment processor, but like my order forms and everything goes through Simplero. My membership sites for the courses I do go through there. Um, so it's been a nice like hub to have a lot of stuff in one place. Mm-hmm. So on a skill level, What's something really specific that you think that you do well as a coach? I'm really good at helping people calm down. Um, I think specifically because I work with a lot of people who are in career transition and it's not just about like, oh, let me climb the corporate ladder or let me do a lateral move to another company. Like people are quitting jobs, moving to different states, you know, like tampering with their sense of their identity, having conversations with their spouse about what will, you know, how can we swing this? Like it's, it's big stuff. It's way more than what is my job? You know, we're really touching on some like big, scary things. Um, I think I'm really good at helping them like take it piece by piece and keep things in perspective and make it feel doable. Um, and not that it's not overwhelming because it still is, but just make it have them feel powerful, you know, as they're, um, as they're working through it and as they're making these big decisions in their life. Yeah. So as someone who is self-employed, I think about this a lot. Um, this idea that you don't necessarily have like the typical, you know, maybe mentor structure or performance review or, you know, like that kind of built in growth, right. That you might have like in a different organization. So is that something that you think about, like in terms of 
continuing to grow your skills as a coach or like, is there anything that you kind of have put in place for yourself being that you're your own boss? Um, you know, I always, always, after I work with clients, get feedback from them. Um, and I think that's my biggest mechanism to see, am I still doing a good job? Um, so, you know, after I work with someone, I send them a, um, a feedback form and, you know, I ask them for like what went well so I can get testimonials. But, you know, I also ask, you know, is there anything you would have liked to be different about this process or is there anything, you know, that could, Im- that could improve this? Um, and I really take those seriously. And, um, and I've gotten some suggestions over the years that I've, you know, I've used to implement, you know, and go back. So the next round that I'm working with people, I change it, you know, and I try to, I try to follow their suggestions and then make it better and give them more support here or back off there or create a different resource or, you know, structure the calls differently. Um, and that, I mean, you know, they are, they're my clients, but like in that sense, they are my boss and they are giving me, um, they are giving me the feedback. Um, and they, they may not be able to tell me how they think I should do it differently. Right. Because this is not their job, right? They're just, they're experiencing it as a client. Um, so that's when it's also really helpful to be able to turn to a peer group and say, okay, I got this kind of feedback. How do you guys handle that? Yeah. Or knowing my business, how, you know, do you have any suggestions on how to handle that? So like having that, that kind of dialogue, like with me as the common denominator between clients and then like trusted peers and, um, and I would say, you know, like I've had mentors, but now I mostly like I have a mastermind group and I turn to, you know, to peers to answer um, questions if I'm stuck on something or, or trying to do something in a different way. Yeah. Do you what do you think people's misconceptions are about coaching? Um, I think people are most familiar with life coaching, um, you know, and I. I think they I think some people think it's a lot of, you know, fluffy hoo-ha, um, that it's about like mantras or crystals or happy thoughts. Um, and for some coaches, I think it is, and that's fine. Um, but you know, a lot of coaches that I know are highly skilled and really amazing at not just like reading between the lines of what people say and and being a good listener, but also like knowing how to, how to help the person they're with. Like, it's not just that, Oh, here's my blanket approach. And with every client, we're going to do the exact same thing. Like really knowing how to gauge where a person's at and what they're willing to do and what they're interested in doing and like helping them move along in that way. Mm Mm-hmm. For you, you know, obviously I know that you're active on social media and especially as a mom, I mean, how do you draw boundaries for yourself with kind of social media use and deciding what's going to go on there and what's not going to go on there? Yeah. So I don't, I I guess I don't like have hard and fast policies. Um, There are some times when social media just feels like overwhelming and I go kind of quiet for a while. Um, like I was really active on Instagram for a while. And then I just felt like I was forcing it to try to find life's lessons from going to the grocery store, you know? And I just, I was tired. (laughs) I was tired of kind of having to, no one else was asking me to do this, but it felt like I had to 
I don't know, just like broadcast daily moments. And I just, I wanted to stop and I just wanted to have my life be my life and let my work be my work. Um, so I just stepped back from that platform for a while because it didn't feel good to use. Um, and there are other ways to use Instagram, but, um, that's kind of how I had been using it. Um, so I guess like, I don't know, like letting it be a little intuitive, you know, and, um, posting what feels good and of service when it feels good. Yeah. I love that. And not kind of giving into the anxiety of, Oh my God, if I don't post something every single day, then people are going to forget about me or whatever stories we tell ourselves about that. I mean, and maybe they will, but you know, like, also I'll come that's back. fine. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'll come back or they'll see my newsletter or they'll see a blog post or, you know, they'll see me on Facebook or, you know, they'll, I'll get back in the loop somehow. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know. Like there are some social media things. It's like, it's really easy to automate. Like I've got this whole Pinterest thing set up where like, I like Pinterest and I'll hop on there, but like I got robots doing a lot of Pinterest stuff for me. And that's great because Pinterest is not that social. Like it's more of a search engine, right? So it doesn't feel disingenuous to be like robot, you handle this (laughs) something like Instagram, you know, like that feels a lot more personal and a lot more about connection. And so like, I don't really automate that. Um, maybe I should. I know some people do something pretty close to that, but um, I don't know, just just kind of following my gut on that. Yeah, I love that. So before we start to wrap up, is there anything that didn't come up in this conversation that you really wanted to share? Uh, <laughs> I think, Yes. Let's talk about briefly um, the idea of callings Mm. because I think like in the last, I want to say maybe six months, I feel like there's just been a lot going on um, nationwide. Like we've had a lot of social issues coming to light and a lot of, you know, oppressed groups um, voicing concerns and, Um, you know, I know uh, at least among my community, there are rumblings about like, what do I do? Do I need to quit my job and go be an activist? Or is it okay for me to mention something on social media and speak out? Um, how do I know what's mine to talk about? And, you know, so I, I think that's like a question that's in the ether. Um, and Tara Moore, I don't know if you're familiar with her. She's the author of playing big. She's also a coach. Um, we had this great conversation about callings where kind of like with Jenny Blake's idea about like, you know, there's a purpose for this project. Um, you know, she says that callings, you may get lots of callings over your lifetime and they don't have to be your career. Um, but you know, if you, if you feel a calling or you, you hear a calling, um, it'll often like you'll feel resistance around it. It'll seem like you're not qualified or you're not the person you need to be, to be able to do it. Um, and, and, and I love her idea that you don't have to drop your life in pursuit of this thing that's calling you. Like you can feed it and nurture it even a little bit and it'll start to feel good. Um, so I guess I, I just think that's really potent nowadays Um, because there is so much tension in the country about what do I do now? And, um, or maybe, you know, for some people there's not, and that's a source of tension for other people. Um, but just the, the idea that, you know, if, 
if you are you feel called to start to explore something new that like we were talking about you can experiment with it or you can do it on a small scale um, you don't necessarily have to quit your job or change career careers or reorganize your life in order to answer the calling, do something of service and make a difference. Yes, I'm so, so, so glad you said that. I agree about it being incredibly timely. And it's just, again, like kind of underscoring this idea that things don't have to be all or nothing. That it's not like, okay, well, again, it's not, well, I'm either going to stay here and be miserable in this job or I'm going to sell everything and, you know, move to wherever. (laughs) Like that's not, it doesn't, it's, it doesn't have to work like that. And the same thing, like you can get involved in whatever activism looks like for you, right. Or starting to kind of go down that path. If that's a calling without, you know, quitting your whole life. So, and I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you for saying (laughs) that. Um, so the way that we wrap these up are with what we call community questions. So it's a series of questions that Real Talk Radio listeners have put forth for me to ask all eight guests of a given season. So we have nine kind of random rapid fiery questions for you. Let's go. What's your favorite thing to eat for breakfast? Coffee. (laughs) Good answer. Um, What would you say is the biggest challenge or obstacle that you are facing right now, either personally or professionally? What is a sticking point for you? Um, Having no friends in my new city. Uh, and just like finishing unpacking the boxes. <laughs> but soon you're going to do friends be dating in a coffee shop and tell us all yes. about it. So yes, <laughs> that's like the best idea I've ever heard. Um, okay. So the next question, which regular habit or behavior would you say has most contributed to your happiness in recent years? Um, the first thing that comes to my head is waking out without an alarm clock. Hmm. Okay. Say more about that. Well, this is not something like I plan to do. I'm a naturally early riser, so I don't set an alarm clock and I'm usually the first one in my house awake. Um, and I love being up like when the world is dark and the house is quiet and I just get to do whatever I want in the dark, in the quiet. Like that's just really satisfying to me. Well, and especially if you didn't have to wake up, it's like a very jarring thing to get there. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so continuing on with that topic of habits, what's one daily habit that you would love to develop and maybe add to your life this year? Oh, uh, so I'm starting to do this, but I wouldn't say it's a habit yet. Um, but when my son gets home from preschool, um, we've been going out in the woods behind our house and just like walking around and he hits trees with sticks and throws rocks and (laughs) just kind of shuffle about. Um, and I would really like that to be like, a daily thing that we enjoy together. That sounds lovely. I would love to do that. <laughs> I would like to hit some rocks <laughs> and sticks and things. Sounds great. Um, tell us some of the best advice that you have ever received. Mm, I think um, something my parents hammered home, which probably explains a lot and came back to bite them in the butt sometimes was um, – don't worry about what other people are doing. Do what you think is right. It's mm, such good advice, right? Easier said than done, but good. Right. <laughs> um, what's something that you really love about yourself? Um, I think my sense of humor. Like, How, I don't oh, necessarily God. have like a list of jokes to tell you, right. um, but um, I think I a lot of times see the absurdity in situations and can like lighten the mood um, or or just like share an observation that's kind of quirky and fun. That's, I mean, 
that is a good, I don't even know if skill to have, but yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, how do you pull yourself out of like a funk or a rut? What works to get you reengaged in your work and your goals when you're feeling just really like blah and you don't want to? Two things. Um, exercise always. Like if I just can change up my brain chemistry by taking a walk or like sprinting up and down the steps, I'll take it. Um, and two, if ever I'm like, Ugh, I don't want to write the blog today, or I don't want to do this client call because I'd rather watch Netflix, um, which happens sometimes. Like always after the call, I feel great. But you know, sometimes you dread things that even you are good for you. Um, I keep a little post-it note by my desk that says, find your love for them. And for me, that's just a reminder that like, I'm not just doing this for me. I'm doing this for my clients um, and for the lives that they want to create. And if I take a second to just like reconnect with them and that bigger picture, it's really easy to get on the phone or like turn off the Netflix show or whatever. Um, that, that helps me a lot. Yeah. Getting like outside of your own. I don't know, like self-absorption where we can all get yeah. in that place. Yeah. yeah. Um, which two or three books of any genre, any kind of book, would you say have either had the biggest impact on you or that you reread or recommend the most? Ooh, um, The Four Agreements. Definitely. I recommend yeah. that all the time. Um, all my books are in boxes. I'm trying to, I'm trying to cheat and <laughs> look around my room, but they're still in boxes. Uh, I do recommend playing big to a lot of clients. Um, that's not one that I've reread. Um, but I think there's just such good, good wisdom about a lot of the topics we've been talking about, you know, like listening to yourself and staying true and speaking up. And, um, that's just a good manual for that. Mm -hmm, definitely. So if you could leave our community, the listeners with one call to action right now, maybe a question to ask themselves or a small action to take in the next week, what would it be? I would say to sit down with a piece of paper at the top, write what matters most and just give yourself 10 minutes to fill out the piece of paper. Mm, I mean, that's good advice. <laughs> I'm going to do that. It's funny. Also, like to give yourself permission to do that without the expectation that it has to then lead to something, right? It's not like you right. have to make the list and then you have to do something about all the things on the list or you have like, just make the list. Right. That it's worthwhile to check in with yourself about that. Oh, I love that. That's so good. So what's the best place for people to find you and say hi online? Maybe if you have like a favorite way to connect. Yeah. So, um, my website and all my handles are with Laura Sims. That's, uh, Sims with two M's. Um, so, you know, I'm on Instagram. Uh, so come say hi over there. Um, and I will like, if you especially say like, I heard you on the podcast, I will give you a special little high five. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom and honest stories and everything with us. All right. Thanks so much. This has been a great to talk with you, Nicole. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. I couldn't do this without you. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is now a 100% listener-supported show. The show is made possible by people like Jennifer. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, Nicole. So are you ready to play Would You Rather, which is my favorite game? Yes, sounds great. All right, three questions for you. Would you rather give up the internet for a month or give up showering for a month? I'd rather give up the internet for a month. Yeah, me too. No Totally, question. totally. 
I when I went on my long hike last summer and that was like the longest stretches that I've gone of being like actually just like really filthy and it's fine but I'm all set I don't want to do that again exactly um okay would you rather never need to work again or never need to sleep again oh my gosh wow um I would go okay I'm thinking I would rather never need to work again definitely yeah Yeah, I I agree on one hand I'm like oh if I didn't need to sleep I could get so much more done I'm like well if I wasn't so obsessed with productivity then (laughs) right maybe I could just actually enjoy sleeping relax and be fine exactly exactly (laughs) oh that's funny it's funny how these questions show you like the things that are wrong with you like "Hmm, why would that be your choice Nicole or Um, what's more important I mean I would I would rather get some you know great sleep and have time and not be so strapped into my job yeah, totally. I mean, and I think this question is like, there's the assumption that if you never need to work again, that means you just have whatever money and resources you need, right? So sure, that sounds... Sure, completely. And like, or just not mean, need as much. Exactly. Or it doesn't mean you can't work. It just means you don't mm-hmm. have to. You have so, to. Yeah, yeah, I'm into that. So the last one, would you rather every day for one month have to eat a small can of cat food or four rotten tomatoes? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> What is what a choice? I would have to go with the tomatoes. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just can't eat cat food. Yeah, no, I mean, I can barely feed cat food to my cats. So right, I agree the with smell. You. Mm, no way. So no way. Uh, yeah. Okay. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the rest of the listeners real quick? Tell everyone where you live and one thing that you are totally obsessed with right now. Um, well, as you said, my name is Jennifer. I live in Moses Lake, Washington, um, the state of Washington, and it's this little town, kind of right in the middle. I call it, um, it's in the belly button of Washington <laughs> State adorable. and everything that that implies. It's kind of dry and dusty, and I'm not really sure what the point of it is, but that's where I live. And um, gosh, something I'm totally obsessed with. <laughs> Obsessions are kind of scary for me, so I try to to not be too obsessed about much, but something I'm really focusing on right now is the idea of being present and listening and paying attention to what's going on right in front of me. Mm, That is a beautiful answer. So you are a member of our Patreon support squad, which means that you're one of the people that listeners can thank for making this podcast possible since you make a small and powerful pledge that helps to fund the costs of producing the show each season. And I would love for you to share why you decided to support the show and maybe one thing that you love about being in our community. Well, the main reason, I mean, I had been thinking about some different podcasts that I wanted to support anyway, and I like the Patreon idea. Um, but honestly, it was the email that you sent out, I think it was back in November, just kind of talking about some of the the kickback that you were getting from uh, people on the internet, listeners, um, in response to your um, decisions to go to culinary. Just It was just a really heartfelt email, and I, I thought, I want to support what you're doing. I want to support your, you know, your whole thing here. I think it's a really great podcast and, um, and there needs to be more positivity in the world. And I think that's one thing that your podcast, um, brings. 
Oh, well, that is such a lovely thing to say. Yeah, that email that you are referring to, people that have been in the community for a while remember when I decided to stop doing essentially mm-hmm. public writing because just, mm-hmm. it was, I mean, just the handful of hater kind of, I mean, not even troll types, but just like people having really strong negative opinions about what I shouldn't, should and shouldn't do with my life, which, right, right like right. nobody's got time for that, really. And <laughs> um, yeah, the kind of the wonderful thing that came from taking a break from that and expressing that publicly was, I mean, I can't even tell you the wonders of what my inbox looked like after that. I got literally mm-hmm. hundreds mm-hmm. and hundreds of kind emails. Like I said, before we started recording, yours definitely stood out to me as just like one of the sweetest. And I mean, like I said, I didn't have time slash the emotional capacity to respond to all of these like (laughs) hundreds and hundreds of emails but I I don't know it really is a good reminder that while negative feedback or commentary can feel rightfully so really hurtful that it is such a tiny percentage and sometimes like it's really wonderful to be reminded of like how many people are kind of the silent majority of people who aren't critical I guess (laughs) that's Mm -hmm. poorly worded Mm -hmm. but um anyway so yeah thank you for the support Sure, sure. And I think um, one of the things I like about it, it is a, you know, it is a format for personal interaction and discussion. And, you know, you put some surveys out, you put some questions out, and you kind of ask the community to contribute to what you're doing. And I think that's really great. Yeah, and that's only going to continue. I think 2017 is going to be a really fun year for our little community. So I'm very excited. And I am grateful that you were brave and joined me for this. So thanks for that. Thanks for having me. And to everyone listening, if you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want over 30 hours of bonus content with new stuff added every month, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more for each eight episode season. I can't tell you how much your support means to me, and I can't wait to get to know you better behind the scenes in our community. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can. And no matter what, we're in this together. 